All right. Wow, what an incredible time of worship, guys. That was amazing. I'm going to be honest, I love to go back to that after, so we're probably going to call this team up again for a song or two after, because uh, I never, ever, ever like to end on me. Uh, I'd like to, I always like to end a service on just focusing back on, on God. So if you're in a band, just be ready. I guarantee you 100% you're going to be called back up. Um, I am so glad to be here. I'm, I'm blessed. My wife is here this time. So now, when I talk too fast, which I am apt to do, she's going to go slow it down. Uh, and now I have somebody to pick on because she always complains that I pick on her every time. Uh, and it's not true. I never pick on her when she's not around. And uh, so, so here she is today. Uh, so glad to be here again. I, some of you guys remember I was here a while back, and like you said, we talked about fighting crocodiles uh, in Mozambique, and I love telling those stories, but I'm going to be honest, today we're just going to get into the Word. Uh, we're not going to tell a lot of stories as much as we love those stories. Um, and you see on my computer, because I wasn't as prepared, uh, I got here and I was told, no, don't worry about it, you're not speaking. And then he was, they were like, well, were you up for it? And I'm like, I am always up. You know, the Bible says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I am prepared to give an answer for the hope that I have, and I will do my very best. So I guess I should introduce myself a little bit. Rick, Heather, uh, I've got two adopted kids out of Mozambique. Uh, I arrived here on Tuesday. I'm leaving on Tuesday. Uh, I helped to lead a church in Canada uh, that's looking into to 412, and I just love uh, everything I see when I come out here. I, tell, I told our church back home, I said, it looks like what I read in the Bible. Uh, and every time I get together, I do this often, I'll get to get, you know, in our communities, we've got all these different types of churches, you know, you're, you're Methodist or you're Baptist, we just have Mennonite or Mennonite or Mennonite or Mennonite or Mennonite. I'm not, I'm not joking, it's Berktaller Mennonite, Elam Mennonite, Gortitzer Mennonite, Evangelical Mennonite, and Graceway Mennonite. And then there's us weirdos, we're the Abundant Life Fellowship, who we were known as the crazy church there for a while because we dance and we move. And, and uh, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's crazy because we get together, and every time I ask these, all these pastors get together or, or leaders get together, I'm like, how come the church doesn't look like what we read in the Bible? And they're like, well, you got to understand, like, you got to go deeper into the Word, and you realize it was all cultural. It did, we didn't really have to do things. I mean, things have changed, uh, and, and I always struggle with that growing up and, and growing up in the church, and uh, it really feels sometimes when I, when I, when I get here, it, it feels like home, if home was what I read like in the Bible. And so I want to encourage you guys in that. I think that's why people come from Colorado and California. And they say, man, it feels, feels like we've looked around to see what church might look like, and it feels like the place. And so excited to be here. I did spend eight years in Mozambique with my wife. We've adopted our two kids from there, and that's where I'm heading from here. Uh, so from Canada, I come here for a week, and then I head over into Mozambique for about three weeks to do some uh, leadership training there with with the guys that we work with, and so I'm super excited. Not going to get into that. It's not self-promotion day. So that's what I do, and then after that, I head back to Canada to the church that we help lead there. So I'm excited. Uh, and, and as I was joking that, about, about the Mennonite church, actually, before we do that, let's just pause. Let's just pause. You guys don't know me, but I know me. Lousy preacher, lousy speaker, and if you enjoy today, it, it won't be me. Um, and so what we're going to do is to make sure it's not me. Uh, if we don't stop and pray, it's going to be really bad. So... Let's just reset before we get going here. God, I just love you so much. God, I'm just so thankful that uh, you are not limited by me. Uh, you either work through a person or despite of a person, but God, I'm so thankful that you work no matter what. And so God, my prayer is today that you work through me, but if, if, but if I'm off track, God, work despite of me. So God, I'm just praying that people will hear what you would have them hear regardless 
of what this guy says. Uh, and God, just give me the words so that I do speak what you'd have me speak. I just love you, Jesus. Amen. I was thinking about the church mostly just now as I was praying, and, and I was joking about how we've got all these Mennonite churches. If you don't understand the Mennonite churches, it, where I'm from, I don't know if you guys have Baptist churches or pretty much just evangelical churches that don't really believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit, pretty legalistic, pretty structured. And I realized something even as I was preparing this and as I came up and said the word Mennonite, it kind of came into my mind. And I was reminded that one of the hardest things for a church to be, it's, it's the greatest blessing when your kids and your grandkids and, and everybody in your life, you know, generationally gets saved. But with those generational people getting saved, there is, there is slowly a sickness that creeps into the church. And the sickness can actually be... Um, linked to the greatest commandment ever. And I think we all know the greatest commandment. I didn't throw it on my notes because I just assumed everybody would know it. Uh, but if you don't know it, I'll just tell it to you. It is from Mark 12, 28 to 30 as well in every single gospel and throughout the Bible. But they say to Jesus, what's the most important command in all the law? And I'm, they're talking, they've memorized this all. And uh, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And I realized something in that is that he didn't say the greatest command is don't murder people. I mean, the second is love your neighbor as yourself so you won't murder them. Um, but but, but it's, I, I love the wording that he uses. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And this is the greatest of all the commandments. And it says everything hangs upon this. And I think sometimes in these multi-generational churches, or maybe, maybe even a church that's not that old, but you've been coming now for two years, three years, four years, you're getting this thing figured out called Christianity, and you're going to fall often. It's the greatest mistake that we all make. We forget who we were, and we forget who God has made us to be. And so what happens is we begin to see ourselves as per, per, a lot more perfect than we really are, and we forget what we've been saved from and what we have been saved in two. And I see this, especially where I live, it's, it's all these churches, and everybody's really amazing at, G at being Jesus, as long as you don't read the Bible and know who Jesus was. We're good people. B based on the world, we're really good kind of people. But the greatest command isn't be good people to other people. The actual greatest command requires all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, all of your soul, all and here's a fact that we so often forget, is that if the greatest rule that ever existed was everything, then less than everything is the greatest problem, the greatest disobedience. Because, it, because the greatest is everything. He's like, I don't, want, I don't want some of it, I want everything. The greatest commandment. So when I don't love God with all... I'm sinning. I, well, we don't like to hear that. Oh, here comes this extra speaker. He's just going to nail us with being. I'm not saying. I'm just saying the greatest is all. And so today what I want to do is I want to remind us of who we were and then who God wants us to be. So it's a two-parter today. Double blessing for you guys. Two-parter. Who you were and who God wants you to be. Because what happens is when we forget who we were, we don't live who we were called to be. And so I, I was going through my Bible, and I loved it. I said to my wife, I'm going to slow down. I realize I'm talking fast already. I said to my wife, I said, I said the first song that we had, I don't even remember the exact words because the way my brain works, it was a perfume of praise. A perfume of praise. A perfume of praise. And, and I looked at her and I said, hey, guess what the first verse that I'm reading today is? 
So the first verse that I'm reading today, or I guess it's the second now, uh, is Luke chapter 7, um, verse 41 to 43. And there was this, you know, immoral woman who, is, who has just washed Jesus' feet with this expensive perfume. And the Pharisees, they don't like it. And Simon's upset. Everybody's upset that she would take this incredibly expensive perfume and she would wash his feet. And then Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You judge correctly, Jesus said. And here's where my point was getting to. Where I come from, where everybody's been saved their whole lives, we do not love Jesus with all that we have because we fail to realize how much we need Jesus. We've gotten so comfortable in this, so comfortable in just being good in the name of Jesus. But that's not the whole story. And so I want to remind us today of, of, of really figuring out that if we don't see ourselves right, we don't see Jesus right. Like when you have a false view of yourself, when you look in the mirror, it creates a false view of who Jesus is. And I'm, I like analogies, I like pictures, it's just the way my brain works, I'm that creative kind. And sometimes we have this view of, of Jesus around the world, and you'll see it in other theologies and other doctrines and some of these great speakers around the world, and it's this idea that we have a firefighter Jesus. Now I'm going to explain that because the picture without an explanation doesn't help anything. Firefighter Jesus is this. I made a oops. Left, left, left the stove on. I just made a bit of an oops in my life. But praise the Lord, the house is on fire and Jesus is to the rescue. And so Jesus climbs up and your house is on fire because you made a whoops. And he comes in and he grabs you and he saves you from the fire because he's the savior. And he saves you and you're woo. And you, you, what, what happens when a firefighter saves you? Well, in your life, in your heart, nothing. You say, okay, I'll, I'll just be more careful on the stove next time, so I'll, I'll try not to be quite as bad, not so many oopses, and maybe I'll send a cake to the fire department, you know, like, thanks guys, you're pretty good. Because in this story, I'm the victim. In this, in it, with firefighter Jesus, I'm the victim of a tragedy. Something went wrong. Not my fault, but something, or maybe a little bit my fault. It was a slip up, and I, something went wrong, and Jesus came to save the day. So now that I got my ticket, hallelujah, I'm good to go. When you are the victim, Jesus is simply the Savior. But what if you're not the victim? What if firefighter Jesus is not who Jesus wants to be? Or how about what if it's not who the Bible says Jesus is? He's not firefighter Jesus to swoop in and save your day. As a matter of fact, I'm reminded that in the real picture of who we were and who Jesus is, we are not the victim. We're the abuser. We're, we're, we're the criminal. In the real story of Scripture, I'm not the good guy who made a whoops putting, putting the stove on too long. You know, you look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, 10 to 12. It says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Now, the word righteous means to do for right living. So it's not just like when you're born, you're born into sin because you're born 
not obeying the greatest commandment. You're born already not loving God with all your heart and soul and mind strength. You, nobody's born loving God with heart and soul and mind. There's just no way you can look at it. You're born into sin. You start sinning from the moment you choose not to, you can't love God. And so we are, there's nobody who's right all the time. There's no one who's righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who truly seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. See, the problem is, is that we have diminished sin and we water down our salvation. We, we live in a world that literally, I, I hear these speakers, and I'm not trying to pick on people, but in order, I have to. We have this idea that if you're just good, you know, you, you, God, you know, we talked about this the other day. God just loves you the way you are. God loves you the way, God loves you the way you are. If you don't know God, I want to tell you something right now. God loves you. That's where the sentence ends. God loves you, period. God died because he doesn't want you the way you are. Let, let, like God loves you, and that's where the sentence ends. And I'm not saying that God doesn't love you the way you are, but the world has taken that phrase, which has truth to it. And they're like, whew, God loves me to be sinful. No, 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 no. God loves you, period. But the way you are, that sucks. Sorry, I, I gotta be careful. I don't know, what, I don't know how the wording is here, so I can be careful. Don't foot my but God loves you. He doesn't want you the way you are. Like, He wants you, but He wants something different for you. But it only happens when you realize that. And I love what, I love what Paul says in, in, in 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 16. My wife is laughing at me. Okay, just as a Canadian thing. We say 1 Timothy. But so, so it's 1 Timothy. 15 to 16, for all, for all those who are truly saved in here, right? Here's a trustworthy saying that's, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Not people who, whoops, not whoopses, sinners. Of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in me, in him, not in me, in him, and receive eternal life. I, I, I want to just remind us of something. Sometimes we read this passage of Scripture and we're like, well, obviously Paul thought he was such a horrible sinner because he, because he did this thing to Stephen. But I, I, I want to I flip that on. I want to flip that. It doesn't actually say why he thought he was the greatest sinner. So I'm going to take a little bit of liberty. And remember, be careful, as Andrew would say, be careful how much liberty you take. But let's put that, why do you think he was the greatest sinner in light of what he knew? The loving God. He loved himself. He persecuted the church. He, for a season, he probably thought he was right. He was the most educated of all the apostles. He, 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 was a, he even says, I was the greatest of the Pharisees. He thought he was doing right to a point, but he had to know he was wrong. And he chose himself, and he chose fulfilling his own thing above following God. Yeah, the thing of Stephen, that was bad. It was bad. But the, I, I really believe what he realized in there that it was his love of self that caused him to persecute the church when he should have known better. And the reason I feel that way is because when he said, I prayed three times for the thorn in my flesh to go away, and, and, and I was told, no, it's going to stay there because you need to be humbled a little bit. We know already that Paul said his sin was pride. Because what is the greatest command? Love God with all, not love me with all my heart and soul, my, love God. And even the thorn in his side was linked to the idea that he had to recognize that God's grace was sufficient for him. And so I want to give you a different analogy. Something a little bit different than, than firefighter Jesus. I want to give you a different story. Slow it down. Okay, a different story of, 
I, I, call it, I call it electric chair Jesus. Electric chair Jesus. Okay, so I, I think you guys know what the electric chair is. In some states, they did it for a while. It was a death penalty. You got the electric chair. Okay, so I want to give you a picture after I give you a question. When we sin, who are we sinning against? It's Jesus. We're sinning against God. We are attacking God in our sin. We are rebelling against God in our sin. And about, you know, by his stripes we were healed. What he's saying is we need to see ourselves not as the victim with food on the fire, but we need to see ourselves as the men who were crucifying the Savior. So instead I want to draw you a picture. Okay? You... This is who you were. You went out with a whip and beat somebody to an inch of their life. You went out and ripped the beard out of their face. You went out and put spikes in somebody's head with thorns. You went out till somebody was so beaten and bruised and battered they were not recognizable. That's you. And you didn't just do it to them. You did it to the ones they loved as well. The Bible says... You've been found guilty. So let's move that picture a little bit forward. You've been judged. And you are guilty beyond the shadow of a doubt. And now you are sitting in that electric chair. And you are strapped in and they say, you know, they will look and see if the governor calls on time. Is the governor going to call on time? I'm going I'm to pause that just for a second. I, I was reminded, I don't know if any of you have heard this story. There's a, there's, a, there's a highly religious conservative group called the Amish in the United States. And a while back, a man had come into this Amish school and killed a bunch of these children. The man gets sentenced. He's going to go to jail. But, but you're also allowed to give a victim impact statement. And in their victim impact statement, these, this Amish community who lost a bunch of their children, they made this profound statement that says, we, we forgive we forgive this man. And I remember the world of you know, Christianity, the world of faith said, man, that is the perfect example of love. But the example Jesus gave was ten times better. Let's go back to the electric chair. Jesus didn't sit there watching the execution and say, oh, the impact is I forgive them. No, I want you to picture the curtains opening. As if, have you seen those movie curtains open so the victims can see the execution? And right there in front of you, there's somebody you can hardly recognize. Scars across their body from the abuse and the torture that you intentionally gave them. Hair ripped out of their face and all the people they loved who you also hurt are all sitting there and the phone doesn't ring. And the, man, the warden comes, he's going to pull the switch, and all of a sudden there is a banging on the window. And this man who's beaten and scarred is bawling. He says, stop, stop, stop. I forgive, I, I forgive him. The warden says, that's not how it works. The punishment has been given. It doesn't matter if you've forgiven. And the man says, with all, the, the victim, he says, I will go to the chair. And he rips that straps off you and he straps himself back in and says, I'll take it. You see, we forget as Christians that we were not the victims. We forget that the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sin, by its very nature, is an attack on God. 
There are only two sides in this battle. There are only two sides that you can be on. And so who I was was the man in the chair. But that's not who I am. Because it reminds me and it makes me realize who Jesus was. And if we look at that first verse that we read, you see, when you see yourself not as the person being saved by the firefighter, with very little appreciation for what God has done, when you see yourself as the man in the chair, when you get taken out of that chair on the verge of death, you do anything because you love the one who died for you. The one that you attacked, and he died. And so that's who I was. And when I recognized that, I said, wow. And this is why I say sometimes in the church we get complacent. We're like, no, I'm a pretty good guy. I got saved, you know, five years ago. I'm pretty good. But you got to always, because you probably didn't realize what you were, what you were before you got saved. You're like, you, you, you bought into the firefighter. But I want to remind you today, like, do you really beat and torture someone and then have them go to the chair for you or in this case the Bible go to the cross for you and then you keep on doing the thing to the person that paid the price no when you recognize the great amount of forgiveness that you have you will never be the same you cannot the Bible talks you cannot keep sinning you just can't keep doing it when they've done, when, when you realize what Jesus has done for you. And so I want to remind us today, no matter how long you've been in the church, or maybe you're a visitor and you're like, I, I don't really know Jesus. Or maybe you've attended another church for many years and you just, you're like, man, I like this Josh Jen thing. They, they sing good, you know. I like the idea that Jesus is still talking to me. The first thing you need to do is to remind yourself that we are only here because we were criminals and Jesus died. And here's the thing, I don't live in that shame. So I said, Rick, you got shame theology by saying stuff like, no, I don't. Praise the Lord, I'm not going to beat myself up for who I was because I'm going to live in who God made me to be. Because here's the beautiful thing about the story. Yeah, he, did, you know, he died so I can have life. But Jesus also died. This is a weird statement. You're going to have to kind of wrap your brains around this one. Jesus died so that I don't have to die an eternal death, but I can die a different death. Jesus' death lets me die in another way. Two Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come; the old has gone; the new is here, or the new has come. Yeah. Romans six four. I'll read on there. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live. A new life. We talk about this when we do baptism. The symbolizing there that I am putting the old to death. The old doesn't exist anymore. That criminal should not exist, does not exist. I'm not going to let that old criminal back into my life. I don't have to feel ashamed of who I was because that guy died when Jesus went to the cross and I said, I'll take it. I'll take it, but then I will never be that again. One Peter 123, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. So again, I want to remind you, actually, I, I actually have another illustration that I brought, and I wasn't sure I was going to use, but I'm going to use it anyways. Is it in there? 
hungry. No, I brought an apple because I love illustrations. Please remember an illustration only goes so far. The Word of God, the Word of God goes all the way. Don't take my illustrations if you can't take the Word of God because you can take this the wrong way. Just being clear here. You got these preachers out there who only preach illustrations, like one verse and then just all illustrations. Don't listen to those guys. Um, I at least had a couple more verses so you can listen to me a little bit more. Um, I was reminded the other day that, that, that sometimes, especially if you've been in the church a long time, you're, you're like, okay, here's the deal. Uh, I'm pretty good. It's a pretty good apple. It's, it's not bad. I'll eat this. But, but the problem is that you, you put this out for a little while, it becomes a little bit rotten. See, when you think of yourself, again, this is the same illustration, you think of yourself as a pretty good person. Not pretty good. Yeah, okay. You just, just polish it up, put it in the fridge, make sure it lasts a little longer. You know, I'm a good Christian. Make sure. But, but, but imagine, I did this at home, I let the apple rot. You know, you got a bit of, bit, bit of holes there and a bit. If you've got a rotten apple, I want to tell you something. On a rotten apple, you can polish that thing as long as you want. You know what's going to happen to a rotten apple when you polish it? You're just going to smear it all over your pants, okay? So, so a rotten apple, you can't polish a rotten apple. The apple is rotten. That's what it is. Do you know when you get an apple like this, the moment this apple comes off the tree, it's already dying. Okay, so we put it in the fridge or we put it in cool, just to, keep, to make it die slower, you know. But the reality is it is already dying. It is already on a path for death. And, and so as Christians, or, or maybe you're visiting and you've come to church your whole life and you're going, you know what, I'm pretty good. I've been polishing this apple for a long time. I haven't done anything really bad. I'm like in the fridge, you know. Well, it's a rotten apple. It's going to rot. It's going to decay. It's going to be gone. This thing... Once it gets too rotten for me to eat, this thing is only good for one thing. It's only good when you bury it. This thing's only got value when I make a hole in the ground and I bury it and let it grow into something different. It's, o- it's only value. It's only value when it begins to become rotten. It's to be buried. And so my challenge for you today is when you look at this story, when you see these illustrations, and specifically with these last three verses, are you living born again? Are you living a new creation? Or you keep trying to polish this old rotten apple? Because if you do it, you're trying to do it all on your own works. The guy who's always like, I gotta be better, I gotta be better, I gotta be better. You can't be better. You're rotten. And there's no shame in saying you're rotten. Because the moment, the moment you recognize this apple's no good, The moment you recognize it's no good, the moment you take it and you dig that hole and you plant it in the ground, this apple begins to become something different. It becomes the tree that builds the orchard. See, God doesn't just want you to be the apple. He wants you to be the tree that produces fruit, that produces an orchard, that changes the world. But those things only happen when we are grounded in Jesus, when we put to death the old self. I was at a I was at one of the meetings the other day, and, and uh, I, I just, it struck me by, but one of the things that was said in this meeting was, we need to remember to return, that we don't lose who we are as Josh Jen, for the Josh Jenners, you know, do not lose who we are. See, that's what happens. Churches grow, we, we advance, or, or, or we're not new anymore. And when we're not new anymore, or you've been saved for five or six or seven years, you actually sometimes fall into the greatest sin the Bible has. Not loving God with all. It's why the Bible says, the lukewarm, be hot or cold, but lukewarm is disgusting. You see, we fall into that because we forgot what we were saved from and we forgot what we were saved to. 
We were not saved to be better people. We were saved to be Jesus. We were saved to be like Jesus, to be a representation of who Jesus was. We were saved not to be Rick, but to be a representation of Jesus. So I can put Rick aside. Rick doesn't need any glory. Rick doesn't just need to be good enough. I just need to surrender to God. And when we get comfortable, we lose who we were. And I, I'm reminded of a song that we used to sing, and it's based on a verse. It says, it says uh, relight, the, relight the flame that once burned bright and clear. Re like, return to me the joy of my salvation. And I look around, and, and, and even as we said, who are visitors here? And everyone's like, ah, we're, we're here. Like, there's only a few visitors. We're here. We're here. I want to ask you, do you still have the joy of your salvation? You see, so where do you find that joy of your salvation? Just to give you some hope here. The moment you go, wait a minute, bring yourself back, just for a second here, to that moment, that first moment when you were like, oh my word, I am rotten. That moment when in your head you truly felt like the man in the chair with Jesus banging on the window in that moment when you first realized that the gift he gave you was everything. Never forget that. And as I look at the apostle, specifically Paul, and I love that. That's always been one of my very, very, very favorite verses. You know, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Another one says, whom I am the chief, whom I am the captain. I'm the king of sinners. And, and, and he's like, I am this. Like, like this is like, I, I didn't deserve this. That's who I, you know, but I am. And then he said, you got to be born again. You got to give it to Jesus. And I, I'm pretty confident today that there's probably somebody sitting here who's thinking themselves right now, ooh. We were talking about tithing the other day too. It was interesting. We were talking about, and it was like, like I remember, you know, there was a time, I'm like, yeah, and I'd come to church and you'll see me now even here and I'm like, you guys are all like, woo, and I'm like, yeah, because our Mennonite culture doesn't do dancing, so I'm just, yeah. And, 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 and I remember there was a moment in my life and even just recently, I'm like, God, return to me the joy of my salvation. And again, I realized even lately in my life, the problem is I, I keep forgetting who I was. And then I become proud, then I become proud of who I am, except here's the problem. I become proud like the man who should be dead. I, this is supposed to be the Holy Spirit. It's not supposed to be who I am. This message, whether it's good or bad, hopefully you took something, you're taking something from it, but this is supposed to be the Holy Spirit, not me. And, and, and if you come, you're like, man, that, Rick, I love the message. Great, but that can't be me. The moment it becomes about me, the moment I think I'm polished, the moment I think that I'm perfect is the moment that I lose sight because i got to remind myself every time. And it's why we, our church jokes about this all the time. I get up there, I'm like, somebody said to me the other day, they said they brought their kid to church, and they're like, man, these guys pray like six times in a service. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, because we get up, and then we pray before we do the offering. And then I'm like, then we get up, and then I'm like, oh, i got to pray for the sick. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Rick needs an extra special five minutes of prayer because as soon as it becomes us, as soon as we become the focus, we become the victim. We become the one being rescued. Did Jesus rescue me? Yes, he did. He rescued me from a death of my own creation. After I beat him, wounded him, fought him, persecuted him, and then he said, all right, let's do this. And here's the beautiful thing. 
I want to speak one more thing. It's kind of not really with the message, but it is. It's, it's, maybe you hear this morning, wow, this is a different kind of message that I've heard before. I keep hearing this other message, this one that says, man, you're not that bad. People are more or less good. I, these, these great events, these great preachers of the TV preachers, not all of them, but a lot of these, they're like, man, you're pretty good actually. And if you just give this one little area to, to, to God, it's, God's just going to give you good things. Man, God's got good things. And I say this all the time, God's got good things. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. By good things, what I mean is, in the middle of your suffering, he's going to give you joy. When everything hits the fan, is what we say back home, everything hits the fan, he's going to give you peace. You're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. He's going to give you these things. Yeah, sure, those are good things. That's the only good things he really promised. Like when you read through Scripture and you look at all the promises in the New Testament, yeah, he promised love and joy and peace. Luke 9, 57 to 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, this is the promise. You ready? This is exciting. Woo! Good gifts from God. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. Yeah, where's the big promise we got here? But he replied, Lord, let me... Go, bury my, go, be, go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You want to talk about the promises of God? He's got incredible promises for you. That when he sends you out, and you give what you have to the poor and you've got nothing less, he's going to still give you peace. And when you, when you move from here to over there, because that's where the gospel needs to be preached, and they want to kill you, you will still be like the disciples in prison, beaten and tortured and chained, and be able to sing so loudly that the guards don't know what's going on. God has incredible promises, but if you think it's just good, think that's not what it is, because the reality is, we are not called to be polished. We're called to be put to death. We are called to be buried into obedience to the Word of God. We are called to give every ounce of who we are while we are on this earth so that when it is done, God is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I was hungry and you fed me. Like all the things, like I was hungry and you fed me, you gave your, your money and your time. I was alone. And in prison, you gave grace and mercy. You gave, you gave, you drive all the way out there and you got to deal with these guys. I had, I had a friend who, who was in very rough shape and he had a lot of racist tattoos I was saying the other day and he'd swear at me all the time. And I got little, two little adopted kids from Mozambique and he, this guy's got a big swastika on his thing. And, and, and like he wasn't the easiest person to love, you know what I mean? But God, you know, then I got to go visit this guy in the hospital. You spend, you know, whole bunch of money traveling to see him, and then he's hungry because nobody will hang out with him because nobody's going to hire him with all the racist tattoos all over his face. And, and God's like, you got to give this guy some money. I'm like, yeah, he's going to put on alcohol, and okay, then, then he's got nowhere to live, and then you got to hang out with him. And, and like, it's not, he doesn't promise that it's going to be easy. Everything he tells you to do is hard. And I got good news, guys. If you don't know Jesus, today you can accept him as your Savior. Hallelujah, because I want to tell you something. I would give it all up again. I would give everything up on the whole world, the whole, the whole thing, if just because you get to be like Jesus. And I don't deserve 
as, as, John, as John the Baptist would say, I don't even, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. And then he says, I will, you will do what I have done and you will do even greater things because we are becoming like him. I am not the apple. I want to be planted in God so I can be like the tree. And so today, we're going to wrap it up. I'm actually going to, I'm going to, I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up. I got, I got a couple questions for you. Maybe you're here today. I saw there wasn't a lot of visitors, so this might not apply. But I like to do this all, a whole bunch every now and again. Maybe you're here today and you've lived your whole life thinking all you had to do was go, you know what? I'm going to go to church I'm going to find a good church. Makes me feel like, man, I'm close to God. But you've never actually said, recognize. The Bible says, you know, repent. You've got to recognize that you are the sinner. It's not just about being good. It's, it's the recognition that you're rotten. Have you ever recognized your rottenness? And this, that's, this not just go home and cry and feel bad. Because guess what? When you're buried in God, you are no longer rotten. You are rooted. Right, when you get buried, when that, when that apple gets buried, when this thing gets buried, it is no longer rotten. What happens? Little roots come out, it becomes rooted. And I don't want to be rooted. I'm not, I'm ashamed. You can be ashamed if you're rotten. But plant yourself in God, that rock turns into rooted. So if you don't know Jesus as somebody who, who died because you deserve death and he took your place, I want you to know him today. Because as hard as I made it sound, you're like, oh my word, this is hard. There is no greater joy than knowing that you deserve something that somebody else did for you. And there's no greater peace knowing that no matter how hard life gets on this earth, God wants you to do something amazing for him. It's going to be hard. Nothing, nothing great comes easy. It's going to be hard. But you feel like you don't have purpose today. I'll tell you what. You have, the purpose isn't getting rich. The, the purpose is to be like Jesus. And when you be like Jesus, you're going to see great things happen. So if that's you today, we're going to have a bit of time of worship and you, to pray, and I'm sure we've got some great guys here who can pray with you if you want to pray with somebody. But I also have a challenge for some of you who've slipped. By slipped, I don't mean you're, bad, you're doing bad things. I mean you've forgotten that this was a commitment of death. Like the, 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 the commitment you made to Jesus in baptism, literally in baptism, which we read, that we get to be put to death. Like you made that commitment. Repent and be baptized. And it says, again, that baptism is the being put to death like you were with Jesus. And the resurrection is that you don't have to be that person anymore. Maybe you've forgotten that your commitment to Christ was a commitment to death. He paid the big death. You just have to have an earthly death. This death of who you are to let Jesus reign in you and the Holy Spirit move. Maybe you've come to church and you've seen yourself slip. You've lost the joy of being with Jesus. You're a Christian, but it's just not there. The joy is gone. I want to challenge you, maybe the joy is gone because you've stopped being rooted in God. And you started thinking that the tree was good because it was strong and it was good and you just took the roots out of Jesus because now you were good enough. No tree survives outside of the roots. Not a single one. Take that tree out, it's dead. When we think we're big and strong and great, we've got it solved. The moment you remove your roots, because you're big enough, strong enough, and good enough, you start to die. So that's you today, and you've been coming to church for years, and you just realize, I want to tell you something, you can repent of that too. Say, man, Jesus, thank you. Because I don't want anybody, nobody to leave here ashamed. You don't have to leave here ashamed. Even if you did something stupid this morning, you don't have to leave here ashamed, because the moment you become rooted, 
God takes that from you. That's why he's in the chair. He's in that chair and you're in this chair <laughs> because he already took all that had to be shame and that guilt and he took it upon himself for you. God, you are incredible. God, help me not to be proud because pride is not loving you with all that I am. God, you know that sometimes I slip into pride. God, I need to repent. Maybe there's others who say, say prayer with me. I need to repent. God, I also fall into the great sin of not loving you with all, and I love you with 50%. I've come, become complacent in certain areas of my life. Complacent in, it can be complacent in serving, complacent in giving, complacent in loving, complacent in co lack of compassion, complacent in lack of mercy. I've started to see other people's brokenness through my eyes, through earth's eyes, and not through Christ's eyes. God, I am sorry. Help me see everybody and every situation and every moment through your eyes. 